And knowing that we are coming into Christ, we recognize that there were going to be some challenges of the world that would, in fact, challenge our faith, even to the extent where it may cause us to have anxiety about assembling on the Lord's day. But God said, even in the midst of persecution, physical, bodily harm, he says, assemble. Look what he says. In verse number 20, but a new we have not, if you will, entered into the holiness by the, uh, we, I'm sorry, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus Christ, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. Now I'm going to get back to this because the lesson this morning is standing in the breach. And I'm going to deal with this this morning, standing in the breach. That's our lesson this morning. Uh, but, but Jesus, right for now, he says that, that he did this by the consecrating for us, if you will, through the veil, that is to say his own flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. When we come together on the Lord's day, we're not worried about what's going on in the world. We're coming before God in full assurance of faith. That God is able to address whatever this is that's going on in the world. And I'm going to show you a text that shows it is, it, God is able. Because understand something. Even with all of the devil's influences that he has left upon the face of the earth through the introduction of sin, these are things that God has allowed. It's not that the devil has power over the Lord, but God has allowed. And so we, we need to recognize that. Acts chapter 17 reminds us very clearly that it is in God that we live, move, and have our very being. Nothing of the earth has any control over us. It is God that lives and moves, that we live and move and have our very being. The Bible goes on and says, back in Hebrews, it says, look, verse number 22, so let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Verse number 23, let us hold fast. Lord have mercy. That word, hold, that phrase, hold fast, there gives us the idea of, of steadfastness, as 1 Corinthians chapter 15 would say, be steadfast, unmovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Be, be, hold fast, hold on to the Lord. Amen. Amen. When it comes to these trying times, let me tell you something, we need to help the world know where they can turn to hold on to. Amen. You may not be able to hold on to the scientists. Amen. That gives us an idea of what it is that they're dealing with. Or try to give us an idea of what they're dealing with. Uh, because the message that the world will give goes up and down and fluctuates here and there. and goes from that to this. But let me tell you something. I know who remains consistent. I know the Lord remains consistent. And I'm going to hold fast to him. Amen. Because I know when he gets ready to deal with it, whenever he chooses to handle it, it's going to be handled. And let me tell you something. As I give you the end of my sermon up front. It's the church that stands in the breach of what is going on. It is the church that can come together and pray to the Lord, ask for mercy upon the face of the earth and upon ourselves as we deal with this situation. They need prayer from us. To not assemble, to not assemble gives wickedness a chance to thrive. 
But to come together and ask God, Lord, I'm already in the middle of my sermon. I'm not even breaking a sweat yet, is it? To come together is our opportunity to come before the feet of God, to humble ourselves before him, our spiritual hearts, and say to the Lord, Lord, have mercy. I don't know what the scientists know. I don't know whether they're going to figure this out. I don't know if you've given them the wisdom to contemplate what the geniality is and the, and the origin of this issue. is. I don't know if you've given them that wisdom. But, Lord, if you haven't given the wisdom, I'm the member of the body. I'm, a, I'm your child. We are children of the Most High. Have mercy. Give them the wisdom. Help them figure this thing out. Is that right? No, don't tell us, don't, don't, don't tell us not to come to worship. You tell us not to come to worship, you are handicapping yourself. Amen. If we don't come to worship, y'all going to have some sad problems. Because only the child of God can stand in the breach. Only the child of God. James says, the effectual and fervent prayer of the righteous availeth much. 1 Peter 3.12 says, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. In the midst of a crisis, the church needs to come together. Amen. We need to stand in the breach. You may not know this, but the word crisis comes from a word that in the Greek it means an inflection point. It is an inflection point. It is that point between one issue and another. And let me tell you something, when it comes to the saving of the soul, it is the church that is in the midst of that inflection point. Because see, a decision has to be made in that inflection point. And you don't want something that is concerning the salvation of the soul to go without the wisdom of God being entered into that inflection point. And so my prayer and my hope, and I know that your prayer and your hope is that as we pray for what is going on in the world, we are praying not for the issues of materialism, but we're praying for the souls of men. And the church stands in that inflection point. The church stands in the midst of that crisis, in the midst of this crisis. The church stands because we're in an inflection point. And that inflection point is also called breach. And we talk about the struggle for our purpose and identity as I was ending the sermon last Sunday, and I'll bring it in now. As we look for the idea of the purpose and the struggle of the church, let me tell you something. There's nothing more important for the church to do than to stand in that midst of crisis, in the midst of the breach, to encourage those who are striving to do right, to be right with God, and for God to have mercy on them and to extend to them the knowledge that they need to solve whatever crisis that they're going through. But let me tell you something, at the end of the day, no matter what it may be, at the end of the day, it's the soul that is at stake. Amen. A thousand dollar check ain't going to save your soul. Amen. But the word of God can save your soul. And if I can ask God on your behalf to have mercy, give him one more day, Lord, that may be the day that you obey the gospel. Look what he says. We're still in Hebrews. Let us hold fast our profession of faith not waver, without wavering. Without wavering. You're not going to make me stop worshiping God. Amen. I'm going to worship the Lord. You may recall I said this many moons ago when we were here, when, we, when, we, when uh, I first came to Inglewood. One of the things that I said is there's going to come a time. You may remember this. Some of you may remember this. There's going to come a time where you're going to have to make a decision what's more important in your life. Because back in the days of the Christians, 
of the first century church, of the apostolic church, the primitive church, they had to face that decision, that, in, that crisis, that inflection point. And that was, am I going to be a martyr for Christ or am I going to, con or, or am I going to conform to the issues of the world? And guess what? We're at that crisis. We're at that inflection point. Well, now we have to make a choice about what we're going to do, whether or not we're going to be the ones who will come together and serve God and to worship God and obey God, or we're going to conform to the things of the world. And I say this to you because your faith is what holds you together right now. It's not about what they decide in Washington. It's about your faith. Do you believe God or don't you believe God? Amen. Because if you say that you believe God and you say that you're a true worshiper of God, that obedience needs to be manifested in not forsaking God's assembly because you are in fear. In fear of what? What does the child of God have to fear? The Bible says, amen, fear not him who can destroy the body, but fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. My fear is not whether or not that there may be something that is upon the world that will cause my uh, uh, untimely death. Uh, amen. But because look here, if my soul is right with God, there's a better place. There's a better place. Amen. We have not come here to stay. We come here to leave here. The question is whether our souls will be ready to enter into heaven's glory. Verse number 24, uh, for he is faithful, 23, for he is faithful that hath promised. And verse number 24, and let us consider one another to provoke, one, uh, uh, to provoke unto love and to good works. And that's why we're here. That's why we're here this morning. We are provoking one another. We're encouraging one another to do good works. And good works is to be assembled on the Lord's day. No matter what's going on in the world. Be assembled on the Lord's day. Verse number 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. We're going to have worship online. There ain't no doctrine for that. Amen. Bible says come together. And whatever the persecution may be, plague or otherwise, God says assemble and worship me. And worship me in spirit and in truth. God says, I shall provide all of your needs. Now, let me tell you something. He says, and you do this by exhorting one another as so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no sacrifice for sins, but a fearful looking for the judgment and a fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. Let me tell you something. He that despises Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Let me tell you something. We're going to get to Moses because Moses, Moses was one who stood in the breach. I'm going to deal with that in a minute. But let me tell you something. When it comes to the church, we transcend worldly issues. We don't let the worldly issues guide and direct our thinking. We have a purpose here. 
We as the church, we stand in the breach. We stand in the midst of the crisis. We stand in the inflection point. We stand in the gap between hell and heaven. That's where we stand. And this is where we stand. When our spirit is breached, as Proverbs 15 and 4 says, when we're in sin and our spirit is breached, somebody has to stand. And we know who stood for us when that condition was in place. It is Christ who stood in the breach between us and, between us and God's judgment. I will say amen when you can. Amen. Our spirit was in breach. And back in the days of Abraham, in the, and, and before the, the, during the time of the patriarchs, if you will, Abraham stood in the breach for the people. He was God's chosen man. Galatians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18 say God gave the promise to Abraham because of Abraham's faith. Hebrews chapter 11 says, by faith, Abraham sojourned looking for a city that had foundations whose builder and maker is God. Abraham stood in the breach. Stood in the breach, and it took faith. It took faith in order to stand in the breach. We just read where God says to the church, you have to have faith. You need to draw, you need to draw near to God in full assurance of faith. Abraham stood in the breach. In Psalm 106, we find Moses standing in the breach. In Psalm 106, I'm going to have it read, if you will. In Psalm 106, we find Moses standing in the breach. The psalmist recalls the story from the children of Israel. And in Psalm 106 and verse number 21, the Bible says, they forgot God, their Savior. Lord have mercy. It sounds like Jesus. They forgot Jesus, our Savior. Lord have mercy. When they forgot God, God sent somebody to do what? To stand in the breach. Well, the world has forgotten God. Jesus is not coming back here to establish another church. So who's here now standing in the breach? It's the city that sitteth upon a hill whose light cannot be hid, should not be placed under a bushel. Amen. But it is the church that stands in the breach. We'll get to that a little bit more later. They forgot God, their Savior, which had done great things in Egypt. Lord, have mercy. Therefore, or rather, wondrous works in the land of Ham and terrible things by the Red Sea. Therefore, he, that, he, he said that he would destroy them. Had not Moses, his chosen, stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath? lest he should destroy them. Don't tell us not to come to worship, because if you tell us not to come to worship, you're giving yourself a problem. It's the church that stands in the breach. We are God's chosen people. Don't you know Peter says that? We're God's chosen people. We got to stand in the breach. We, we come to worship to help you out. <laughs> Amen. Come to worship to help you out. We're standing in the breach. Like Moses stood in the breach. 
Because if somebody who is faithful unto God doesn't stand in the breach, no one else can turn away God's wrath. Let Lord have mercy. I, 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 we off into the deep. We off into the deep. These things that we see in the world today are not new. We need to just spiritually discern them. It ain't the first time that there's been a plague upon the face of the earth. And as long as we live here, it's not going to be the last one. But the people of God need to know what our role is, what our identity is. When a crisis comes, we don't run away from it. We don't shun away from it. We stand in the breach. We're the only ones who can stand in the breach. We're the only ones who can, stand, who can turn away God's wrath for the eyes of the Lord over the righteous and his ears open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. What is the world going to do for itself when it comes to God allowing things to happen? The church has to stand in the breach. It's the church that needs to stand in the inflection point because it's the church that's able to turn away God's wrath. So he says, Moses says, or rather, uh, uh, the psalmist says about Moses that Moses stood and he stood in the breach. And he said, to turn away his wrath, lest he should destroy them. Yea, they despise the pleasant land. They believe not his word. The world doesn't believe God's word. Amen. But let me tell you something. Every time the world says there is no God, God says, oh, really? Deal with this. Deal with this then. Amen. And you know who we have to turn to? Because it's only God that gives the wisdom necessary. Lord have mercy. It's God that gives the wisdom that necessary. And you know why God gives it? Because God has mercy on his people. And David said, Lord, have mercy on your people. Turn away thy wrath. Turn away thy wrath from them. I know it sounds like I'm going to be long, but I'm not. And Isaiah, Isaiah stood in the breach. Look at Isaiah quickly. Isaiah, Isaiah stood in the breach. And Isaiah said to the point where when the Lord uh, uh, informed Isaiah that there were some problems going on with the people. God said he needed somebody to go stand uh, in the breach. He needed somebody to go stand in the breach. Because there were some problems going on with the people. I'm going to have to fix this right quick before the, the system goes out. But he said that there's a problem with the people. And he sent the prophet Isaiah to go stand in the breach. To encourage the people to turn back to God. Before it was everlasting and eternally too late. And Isaiah made a point that when he stood before God and God said, I need to send somebody. God said, I need to send somebody. And when he said in uh, Isaiah chapter 6, he says, look here. Lord, I know that you need somebody to go. And Isaiah said in verse number 7, and he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, and 
and thy iniquity is taken away and thy sin is purged. Well, let me ask you something. Who else does that apply to? Only the Lord's church. Ephesians 1 and 7. We have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. That only applies to the Lord's church. Verse number 8. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I. Send me. The Lord sent Isaiah to go stand in the breach. We need to, we need to stand in the breach. Verse number 9. And he said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not, make the heart of this people fat and make their ears heavy and shut their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and convert and be healed. Only the church can accomplish these things. The world can't accomplish this. Only the church can accomplish this. And so we, we say, Lord, we're here and we're ready to go stand in the breach. Spiritually, we go to the Lord on the behalf of the world and ask God to have mercy. Strengthen us, Lord, that we may be able to show through our faithfulness and through the manifestation of our obedience unto you that, that, that God is, and he's still able. He's able to heal in the midst of all of this confusion. God is still able to heal folk and to help people. In the midst of all of this. As a matter of fact, this is an opportunity for people to begin to realize that there's nobody else who can help. Except for the Lord. The apostles, they stood in the breach. In 2 Corinthians 5 and verse number 19, the Bible uses the phrase that they had a ministry of reconciliation. Some of you may not pick up on that immediately. But there's a wonderful idea of the idea of reconciliation because reconciliation means I'm taking one side here, I'm taking another side there, and I'm bringing them together. It means that somebody has to stand in the breach to reconcile, to bring the two sides together. And let me tell you something. It is the church that stands in the breach with the issues of the world and those things that are of heaven to bring the two together that they may bring them unto God, that we may bring them unto God as a church, that they might be, that they might be healed. In Mark chapter 6, Mark chapter 6, very quickly, the gospel, according to Mark, Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. In Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, standing in the breach is our lesson this morning. In Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, if you don't know the purpose of your identity and your calling now, Hopefully you understand it more better this morning because we are, we are the ones who are called to stand in the breach between the world and, and, and God. Look what he says in, uh, in Mark chapter 6 and verse number 1. And when he out, and he went out from thence and came into his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogues. This is Jesus. And many hearing him were astonished, if you will, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him? Uh, that he might, uh, he might, he, that he even such uh, uh, that 
that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, a prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and his own house. And he could there do no mighty works among them, save that he laid hands upon few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went around about all the villages teaching. You know what's going to be the problem with most people in the time where their souls can be healed and sins can be forgiven, even in the midst of all of this tragedy, knowing the truth of God's word, being given the truth of God's word, they still won't come that God may heal them. Because the world is the world. And the world will continue to reject God. But that doesn't excuse us of the responsibility to be the one standing in the gap. We stand in the gap and we show people that God is willing and able to heal them. Jesus, if you will, stands in the breach. And I say stands. Notice that I didn't say stood. Amen. I said stands. In other words, at one time, apostles stood, but the apostles are not here anymore. At one time, Moses stood, but Moses ain't here anymore. At one time, Abraham stood, but Abraham ain't here anymore. But Jesus stands because Jesus is Alpha. And the Omega. Jesus says, I once was dead, but now I'm alive forevermore. So Jesus still stands in the breach. And through his manifestation of him standing, giving us the blessing of being a part of his body, the church, the kingdom, we now stand in the breach. And we're not standing of ourselves. We're standing on behalf of Christ. We stand in the breach. The Bible makes it very clear. If you look at Hebrews chapter 8 and verse number 6, in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse number 6, as we come back to Hebrews and we see Paul letting the Hebrew church, the Hebrews in the church, let them know. In 8 and 6, he says, For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house, if you will, uh, 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 of Judah. I, I dropped down to verse number 8. I'm sorry, Hebrews 8 and 8, verse number 6. But now he uh, hath he obtained a more excellent ministry. That's where I want it to be. By how much also he is the mediator. Jesus stands in the breach of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought, sought for the second. But finding fault with them, that is with the people, finding fault with the people. He saith, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Judah and with the house of, uh, with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And you know what the blessing here is? That new covenant is what the church represents. We are the New Testament church. We are the new covenant church. The children of Israel from the days of old had to obey the gospel if they were going to be saved. The Gentiles from the days of old, from the days of the apostolic church, from the days of the primitive church, from the day of Pentecost, if they wanted to be saved, even the Gentiles had to obey the gospel. They had to obey the new covenant. They had to come out of the things of the world. And they had to come into Christ. And even we as the representatives 
of, the, of, this, of this truth, of this gospel, we understand, if you will, if you look at the idea and the manifestation and the formation of the church, in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 10, as Paul shared with the church of Ephesus, he said, look, at the end of the day here, this mystery, this knowledge, this wisdom is made known by the church. That's why we stand in the gap. That's our purpose. That's our identity. We're the ones standing in the gap between earth and heaven. The church is standing in the gap. And we're sharing the truth of God's word so that people can come out of the world and come in into the marvelous light. And it's the church that stands in the gap ready to do such a thing. And if the church doesn't stand in the gap, guess what? There is nobody in the gap. And if there is nobody in the gap, there's no one who can stay off or stand off the wrath of God. Church has to stand in the gap. And that's why we're here this morning. Brother Cooper, why, why, why are you encouraging us to come to worship? Because God has commanded us to come to worship. And, and God wants you to come to worship to show your faith and let the world know. We're not afraid of what, what's going on in the world. The world should be afraid of us. Amen. I'm going to end here. Go with me. Go with me to Numbers chapter 16. And I'm going to end here. This is a powerful text, and it's one where where we see God showing his power. And not only is he showing his power, but but he's also showing, showing his mercy. He's showing his grace. When we, when we, when we see this text, it's, it's important that we understand that God is, God is there to help people, not to hurt people. And, and, and we've got to get to the point where we understand that that is our purpose and that is our identity in the midst of a crisis. It's not to hurt people, it's to help people. We stand in the inflection point. We stand in the gap. We don't turn to the world for answers. We turn to God. And God provides the answers. Let me hurriedly hear. And so this story in number 16 follows after Korah's rebellion. You may follow, you may remember that there were those who questioned um, the role of Moses and Aaron and how they were uh, representatives of God. Moses and Aaron were the ones standing in the gap. Are you with me? But the world, the children of Israel represent the world, and, 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 but they, they, they questioned Moses and Aaron's responsibility to stand in the gap. Just like they question the church of Christ today. Who are you all that you call yourselves the one church? We are the ones that stand in the gap (laughs) between heaven and hell. That's who we are. 
That's our identity. That's our purpose. And guess what? There's something in that name. And we'll deal with that next week. But we're the ones. That's who we are. Who are you? We're the ones standing in the gap. Forget about my name, Anthony Culpepper. Just know what I represent. I'm a child of the Most High God. And I'm standing in the gap. Not only for myself, because I want my soul to be saved. But I'm standing for you. We are standing in the gap, as we read earlier in the text, one for another. When we come to worship, we encourage one another. That's why I dare, I dare a congregation that calls themselves the Church of Christ have a praise team. You can't sing for me. <laughs> I got some things I need to say to the Lord. And if they're going to be said through the wonderful verses of song, I'm going to sing. But you can't sing bass. I didn't ask you about what I can sing. It ain't about the tone of my voice. It's about the words that I say. And if those words and the tone doesn't, if the words, not the words rather, but the tone, if the tone doesn't come within your scale of music, then so be it. But the words that I say, they will be sound and according to God's truth. And that's what I'm here for. I'm here to worship God because, see, I, 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 I need to sing some things like trouble in my way. I, I need to say that. I don't need you to sing that for me. You know, I got to cry sometimes. You know, trouble in my way. I got to pray sometimes. I lay awake at night. You don't know about me laying awake at night. But you know what? That's all right, because I know that Jesus will fix it. Now, you see, you can't, I'm praise team, you, you taking away your worship. Lord, have mercy. That's, I, I'm, I'm, I don't want to get too far down that rabbit hole. But we come together to worship. We stand in the gap, not only for ourselves, but we stand in gap one for another. And that's why Ephesians 5.19 says, we all lift up our voices. We're encouraging one another. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing. Making melody in your heart unto the Lord. All right. Number 16. If you drop down in verses number 40. I'm starting verse number 39. This is, I'm not going to take long here. Verse number 39. Number 16 and 39. So this is after Korah's rebellion. There's some, the, 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 the people are challenging, and, and they're, they're, they're speaking out against God. They're speaking out against those who are standing in the gap, Moses and Aaron. And so in verse number 39, he says, And Eleazar the priest took the brazen censers, wherewith they that were burnt had offered. And they were made broad plates for a covering of the altar. To be a memorial unto the children of Israel that no stranger which is not of the seed of Aaron could come near to offer incense before the Lord. First of all, what you see in Aaron, you see us. Because the Aaron represents the priesthood. The first priesthood. Lord have mercy. Aaron represents the priesthood. Well, guess what? We are God's priesthood. Royal priesthood, Peter says. Amen. We are now the priesthood. Are y'all with me this morning? Don't be afraid. Because when I'm done with this, you're going to see that you have to go and stand in the gap. Amen. 
what he says. We are the priesthood. Aaron represents the priesthood. No one else could come and offer a censer. Who can, who can come? Who can come? Not the stranger. Not the stranger. Look what he says. Go on. That he be not as Korah and as his company, as the Lord said him by the hand of Moses. But on the morrow, all the congregation, all the congregation of the children of Israel mumbled against Moses and Aaron, saying, Ye have killed the people of the Lord, because they were in rebellion to God, and God judged them. They now dealing with uh, the people of God, Moses and Aaron in specific. And so he says that they looked toward the tabernacle of the Lord congregation, and behold, the cloud covered it, and the, and the glory of the Lord appeared. And Moses and Aaron came before the tabernacle of the congregation. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Get you up from among this congregation, that I may consume them as in a moment. And they fell upon their faces. Let me tell you something. When people turn away from God, you put yourself in a vulnerable position. When the world turns away from God, you put yourself in a vulnerable position. Because then God starts allowing stuff to remind you that he's still here. Oh, amen. God said, oh, you need a message. I'm, I'm going to allow some stuff so that you can remember that I'm still God. And I'm still on the throne. Lord, help us. He goes on and says, y'all stay with me. Don't run from it. Don't run from it. It's going to be all right. And he says, get you up from among this congregation. The congregation here is in general. He's talking about the people of God, the Israel, which represented the whole people of God. And Moses said unto Aaron, take a censer and put fire therein from off the altar. Look where he says, Aaron, take your censer. Aaron, the priest, the high priest. Take your censor. Amen. And I need you to do something because God has broken forth upon the people. Somebody needs to go and stand in the gap between the people and God. Somebody needs to be in the breach before the people of God. Somebody needs to get into the crisis and the inflection point to stay off the wrath of God. Somebody has to do it. Moses says, Aaron, you got to go. Now, somebody said, well, Brother Copeva, how is that relevant to the church? Jesus already went. Woo, this is good. Moses is the mediator at this time. Christ is the mediator at all times. 1 Timothy 2 and 5. For there's no mediator between God and man except Jesus the Christ. But Christ already went to the cross and shed his blood. So Moses sends Aaron, guess what? As Christ sends us, go ye into all the world. Preach the gospel. Teach it. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. So we stand in the gap, just like Aaron did. And look what happens. Aaron, look at the story. Aaron, so, so God, Moses says, as, as he represents Christ, and Aaron, as he represents the priesthood, we are the church, Moses being the representative of Christ. He said, take a censer and put fire therein from off the altar. Wait a minute. Off the altar? Yeah, Aaron, where you were what? Worshiping. <laughs> when 
case Aaron was asleep and not at the altar. Come on, y'all. Y'all know y'all see this. Don't be running from it. Aaron's worshiping, serving God. Moses said, Aaron, you got to take that censer from your worship, from the worship. And I need you to take that censer. I need you to do something. And Moses said unto Aaron, take a censer and put fire therein and from off the altar and put it in sense and go quickly. Go quickly unto the congregation. Go quickly unto the people and make an atonement for them. We not only in worship for ourselves, we in worship for the world. Making an atonement for folk. Lord have mercy. We don't know what's going on, but you know what's going on. Have mercy. Have mercy. The Bible says, go quickly unto the congregation and make an atonement for them. For there is wrath gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. I told you it wasn't the first time a plague has come upon the face of the earth. It ain't going to be the last. I could have taken you all the way back to Genesis, but we don't have time for all that this morning. Y'all want to go home. I understand. I understand. But just know this. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. The world is going to reap what it sows. But the church is still the one that stands in the gap. That stands in the gap. We stand in the gap. Look what he says. And Aaron took as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the congregation. Sounds like go ye into all the world to me. And preach the gospel. And he says, look, and behold, the plague was begun among the people. And he put on his incense and made an atonement for the people. Let me tell you something. You talk about launching out into the deep. Imagine for one moment, if you will. Imagine for one moment, if you will, that Moses comes to you and says, you got to run. Do you know how numerous the people of Israel were at this particular time? How many folk, if you will, that were, uh, that were representing God's people and, and represented them dead and all the world? He wasn't talking about, if you will, those, uh, uh, those who had rejected God. Because remember, Korah and the army who had rejected God, God had already destroyed them. Stay with me now. But then there were others. There were others who told God. God said, look, the people who have turned away from me that are among you. He said, look here, the plague has broken forth. And 
obedient to God's word and, and bow down and humble ourselves spiritually and ask God for mercy and grace. Let the church not come to worship. Ain't nothing going to save this thing. It is because the eyes of the Lord hold the righteous. And his ears are open under their prayers. And you know what the blessing is? Even when we leave worship service today, as priests of the Most High God, we can still pray. Even when we leave worship. Because our faith has been shown in manifestation that, Lord, we know you're able. We know you're able. And so we continue to pray that the Lord gives the world wisdom. Now, whether or not God's will is moved, that's God's will. But that doesn't stop us from praying. That doesn't stop us from worshiping. That doesn't stop us from giving God the thanks, referencing him, and giving him the glory. I know this. I know Paul said, against that day. And Paul was talking about the ultimate day, the day of judgment. Well, guess what? I don't know whether or not this is the time of God's judgment, but I do know that 